This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you today? I'm great. I'm not as good as your as your new haircut, but I'm doing great. <laughs> Had to make up for lost time. It is yeah, a little short now, but there you big go. summer we, cut. We should have pictures of you now, and then in your uh, in your woolly mammoth stage, <laughs> which was like what it's a, a stark difference. Yeah, it's a stark, stark difference. Yes, yeah, it is. That's kind of like we, you're kind of like a, you're Ted Kaczynski. That's what I was a little worried about. Maybe you were <laughs> maybe you're holed up in a cave somewhere. Montana is a great spot, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So it's the mail system, big mail proponent. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Speaking of hold up in a cave, uh, and there's Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. Yo. What'd you expect? (laughs) Why do you look that way? You knew what was coming. What what, what do you want me to say? You said, there's Evan Grant. I, I answered present. Yeah, you did answer present. Uh, hey, did, did all you boys uh, have a good Father's Day? Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. What did, y'all, what did y'all, you know, I'm going to tell you what I, we did for Father's Day. We went to Heim Barbecue in Fort Worth like we did, Debbie nice. and I did several weeks ago, and we tailgated. We took up like four spots in the, uh, in the, park, in the back of the parking lot where it was nice and in the shade, and there was trees all around us. And we also celebrated uh, my oldest son, Jake's birthday at that same time. We were all social distancing because Jake had uh, come in contact with somebody who uh, had tested positive. So he stayed about 20 feet away from us uh, the whole time. So it was very, very, very interesting way to celebrate Father's Day and Jake's birthday. As long as you got bacon burn ends, I'm sure it was all good. We did. We did, the, we did two family packs. Debbie wanted to do three. I said, you know... <laughs> two is enough for eight people and then and then of course we took home and we had the rest of it like you know for dinner the next night uh, yeah. but, but it was terrific we had a great time well, that's great great <laughs> the story didn't involve evan so he's not that into it yeah that's right i'm not a real father so i don't get I, you know uh, evan's thinking what does this have to do with me uh so anyway uh so that was father's day for us and it was very fun we had a great david what about your father's day i don't care anymore about kevin yeah that's well it was a it was a weekend celebration there was a saturday with uh my father-in-law and uh some people and then on sunday a little more low-key and it was a uh it was actually me cooking on father's day but i got to do a copper river salmon so wow Wow. Now, do you when you cook Copper River salmon, you cook it different from, than your normal run-of-the-mill salmon? Just grill it. Yeah. Gr- yeah, grill it a little bit less because it's uh, leaner, so it, you don't yeah. need to uh, keep it on as long. So, 
I got to tell you, I'm not as big a fan of the Copper River as I am just regular. I just like your regular. Really? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a little, it's a, maybe it's just a, the texture Too rich. of it. It's a little rich. The texture of it, you know, is a little different too. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's it. noticeable. People yeah, who say it, they can't really taste much difference in fish, I would argue you can, you would notice, you may not notice why, but it, you'd notice the difference. Copper yeah, River sure. is, uh, it's, it's delicious salmon, but I'm also going to tell you something. Uh, if you go to, um, if you go to the central market and you, uh, and, and I'm not a big advocate for the foreign salmon, but if you go to central market and you buy their Verlasso salmon, which is pretty uh, sustainably farmed and, and uh, ecologically safely farmed, uh, it is very flavorful as well. And I, 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 I'm a big fan of that. So I, you know, it, the thing with the Copper River is you pay a real, real premium for that. And I'm not sure that, that I can tell enough of a difference for me to uh, generally um, acknowledge that. Now, when I'm in Seattle and there, and it happens to be Copper River season, I will go for a professionally prepared uh, fillet of that. Especially yeah, because you're on expense account. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the Velasco is great. That's uh, Chilean uh, uh, salmon, and it's uh, it's a wonderful and and very very reasonable. It's up there with like the Usually a little bit cheaper than the king salmon or the other Scottish salmon. It's right in that same price range. Really good. Um, so, uh, and Father's Day here was um, uh, for the stepfather. Uh, my wife got me a surprise um, gift, which was a, a grow box from Restorative Farms here in Dallas, which is a uh, uh, like a garden for our deck, and it uh, it benefits local um, sustainable food charities, which was really cool. So now I've got some parsley and sage. And Rosemary and thyme. Uh, <laughs> oregano. Beat me to it. And kale yeah. up there all growing right now. And uh, the kids came over Saturday. We were going to go out for dinner and try and test our metal uh, at going to a restaurant. But the closer it got to Saturday, the uh, more freaked out we got about the rising case numbers. So we uh, ordered um, uh, sushi here and had sushi Saturday night for our early Father's Day. The kids went to their um, birth fathers on Sunday and I made uh, I made pork chops for Gina and I. That a boy. We've only been to, now who's, who's I, Debbie and I have been to, to Sue's. That's the only restaurant we've been to to eat there, but we ate out on their patio they have a very large patio there at northwest highway and midway and uh really nice uh and there was a lot of distance there the waiters all had masks on there was nobody sitting within 10 feet of us uh and so we felt very safe about all of that uh and it was a good experience has anybody else been to a restaurant well you know the first day that the that restaurants opened at 25 percent when i was i was still doing some stuff on the restaurant beat i went to um I went to uh, Snuffers and I ate there when it was at 25% and there were multiple tables all around you that were empty. Um, I felt comfortable with, uh, with the service. It was more, you know, wondering what everybody else around me, how they were behaving. Um, and the only other time is I met our uh, old friend Larry Hardy um, for barbecue out in Trophy Club at Meet You Anywhere to sit outside on their, on their patio. Um, but we're, we're, we're still a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of going and sitting in a restaurant. Well, I am for sure. 
Yeah, we've only we've been out uh, again outdoor patio, uh, Cane Rosa, and it was like an afternoon uh, during the week, so no one else was around, so we had the patio to ourselves. So felt comfortable doing that, but don't don't uh, don't feel confident really going inside yet. Yeah, I, I I just you know from my standpoint, and this is kind of just for the for the greater good as well. What a shame it would be to spend all this time and observing all these these uh, regulations and accommodations for the, the coronavirus, and then you just got a little silly one day, and boom, uh, and then you catch it. I just I, I don't see the point in any of that. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna ride this thing out here for the most part. You know, we we've kind of had you know some uh, Jake's been tested now. We're still waiting for the results to come back from that. Uh, Olivia's boyfriend, uh, who's in Kansas, thought he might have it. He got tested. It turns out he did not. So we are very glad about that. But uh, otherwise, everybody has been in a very pretty much a contained environment here. And uh, and it's all been good. So we're not going to test that anymore. Uh, so let's let's talk about some uh, some news that's happened, actually. Uh, uh, baseball is is back, baby. Uh it's going to be like what uh, three weeks of baseball, and uh, and then they're going to then they're going to hand out participation trophies to everybody. Is that what it is, Evan? Uh, similar, yeah, uh, pretty close to that, Kevin. But um, I, I think the the jumping off point on from from where you were uh, the the segue actually is you know I, I got a chance to look at the baseball operations manual last night, um, and it's 114. Oh, I love reading that. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's been about a year or so, but I love it. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was very well done. Yeah, yeah. The stream of consciousness was just really terrific too. I love that part. The upshot on all this is, uh, and I don't want to make this a, a political mask thing, but if you're not taking COVID seriously, read this. Read this operations manual about what baseball is going through to try and keep players healthy. Um, and, and keep them away from positive tests. It is intense. It is detailed. It is thorough. Um, and if you know, it's it's the kind of thing that, from my perspective, again, scares me a little bit about just going out in general population. So um, that was the last thing that baseball had to kind of sign off on uh, after they couldn't agree on anything uh, pertaining to a, a working agreement for the rest of the year. They implemented the 60-game schedule. And I'm just going to say this, Kevin. Um, my take on the 60-game schedule is if we had done this without labor rancor, we would sit here and say, okay, this is exciting. This could be great. It's a season unlike any other. Sprint from start to finish. Everybody just buy into this. It's going to be fun. It's not a regular season, but it's going to be fun. And I think that what baseball wasted was with 12 weeks of, of bitterness and antipathy, it was basically losing the ability for people to see that. And now there's, there's a real polarization between people who are like, I'll just take any kind of baseball. And then there's a lot of people who are saying, it's not baseball whatsoever, and I'm not interested. And that, I think, is how the spin changed based on the negotiations. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that uh, obviously the the labor part of all this is what <laughs> turned a lot of people off, turned me off. You know, I don't, uh, uh, as I wrote today, I, I'm not 
is excited about it, you know, and, and some of that, you know, is maybe natural. I don't know. You, you spend a lifetime uh, saturating yourself in sports. And, uh, and so then you go through some time when there's not very much and, and you realize, Oh, you know, maybe this isn't so bad. I don't know. I, I can think of, you know, one of the things I've always liked about summers, especially as the kids moved out of the house was that, you know, I'd, I'd always go watch a baseball game at night. So like, this is what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to watch a baseball game. And I, and I enjoyed that. Uh, and I'm sure I will enjoy it again at some point, but I, I don't, uh, I'm not sure I'll feel the same about it. I just, I've just put myself in the position of, of watching games and thinking, is this something that I can really enjoy? It just, you know, life has been turned on its head so much in so many ways in the last three months that it's hard. It would probably be hard to look at anything that we did before in the same light. Uh, and, and I guess that's, uh, this shouldn't be surprising then that, that maybe I would feel different about all that. I'm not, I'm not really sure because I'm not even sure how any of this is going to happen. You know, it's just like you were talking about with all the protocols they're going to try to go through and to do baseball. And I, and I know, I don't remember if we talked about this last week, but Greg Riddle went to a softball tournament last week uh, up in the suburbs and, and uh, I can't remember exactly where it was. And uh, they, they, they had some rules set up. You're, you know, you're supposed to social distance in the, in the dugout and no high-fiving and no this and no that. And he said, and pretty soon, nobody was wearing a mask. Everybody was right next to each other in the dugout. The fans were all right behind the plate in the stands. They're, uh, they're, they're all just acting like nothing's changed, nothing's happened at all. And, and afterwards, Greg quoted the, the coach of one of the teams as saying that, yeah, these people up here, they're fearless. You know, they're fearless. It's like fearless. I mean, we're not talking about fighting terrorism here, pal. This is, this is a, a, a disease that, that can be fatal to people and it's swept the world. There's nothing about being fearless in the face of this kind of thing. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be worried about it, but you certainly have to take precautions about it. And so if people are so unwilling, <clears throat> as I see it, to, to take any precautions in a situation like that, I just think it's it's going to be natural for a lot of these players who have spent their lifetimes playing baseball and, and used to the rhythms of it, and, and, and more so than any other sport, as Michael Young has talked about, you know, the, the things that, that happen. You know, when we sit in a, in a press box or in the stands, you know, you're talking to the people around you. It's a social sport. Uh, and, and, and Michael said that's the same thing in the dugout. You know, that's the way we are there. Where everybody's talking about stuff. and. And, and hanging out around each other. And now they're going to ask them not to do any of those things. They're going to ask them to, to spread out and, and, uh, and to not high five and to not do all these kind of things. I, I just think, I, I just really see problems in all of that. And that's, that's on the field. Wait till they get off the field and you're asking them to, to, to maintain these, these same protocols. We've seen in the, in the tests that have come in from all these college uh, football players and athletes have returned to campus at LSU where there's 30 kids uh, have tested positive for it. 30. I mean, that, that's just phenomenal to me. I, I just don't know how these things are going to come off because of all this. I, I don't know what the ramifications are of all. I don't know, you know, if it means that if you've got more guys testing positive for it now that maybe that they'll build up antibodies and maybe they won't get it, you know, if there's a second wave. I don't, I don't know. I, we've seen cases, we know personally of a woman who's had it twice this year, you know. So uh, I, I don't know what the uh, ramifications are 
But I just think that this is, uh, we're stepping into something that we can't see the bottom of. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I mean, I, I think you summed up kind of the outlook on sports right now, regardless of, um, regardless of what the, uh, the, uh, the labor situation is um, I, and what the background is, I just think it's hard to enjoy sports and get passionate as a fan regardless because, you know, people look at it as kind of a live and die fanaticism, um, almost a religion. And it's not that important at this point, right? It's a nice respite. It's a nice escape, but it's certainly not something that I feel like I can get passionately inflamed about because there are much more uncertain uh, much more uncertain times and issues a, a ahead of us. Um, and I think that the game is going to look different on the field too. I, I think the intensity of every game or the intensity of every pitch for, for the baseball season is going to be ramped up. I just don't know if you're going to be able to visually demonstrate that with the lack of high fives, the lack of, um, of, of real interaction, um, and certainly you're not going to, well, in at least 28 parks, you're not going to have any fans present. That has nothing to, that says nothing about what the situation may be here in Texas, but um, it, it's going to be a different atmosphere. And uh, I, I just, I, I, I guess for lack of a better, better turn of the words, I, I just kind of agree with everything you've said, Kevin. David, did you want to say something? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, well, there's always, you know, we kind of touched on this before that so much of sports is just the, the visceral and the emotional attachment you have to it. And, and the element of true celebration and joy in a lot of cases in every single game is going to be lost. And I, I think there, there are fans that, that, are there for the purity of the sport or, or the competition that I don't know that it will affect that much. But I, I think there's a fan that, that wants to be emotionally transported to a different place and uh, just kind of lose themselves in whatever sporting event for however long it is. And if you're piping in crowd noise and uh, after a significant pitch or, or, or hit, there's not the normal interaction uh, that you usually see, it's going to have a different feel. And that's what I think sports has to be really worried about in these times is that even if you still have these sports and are able to show them on TV, which look, again, is what all these sports leagues are hoping for because they know they're losing money uh, in the gate and they have to, uh, the, the revenue is the TV. Um, how how closely can you replicate that experience or will it be lost? And, and if it's lost when it's televised, then will people start going, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not interested in, in that game today. I, I just don't feel the same way about that, you know, uh, about it the way I did. So I'll do this instead. So I, I think, you know, it's kind of a warm and fuzzy thing, but, but I think the feel is going to uh, eliminate some of the, Look, initially, I think the numbers will be big, but will they sustain themselves? Because a lot of it is you just won't connect 
uh, emotionally the way you have. And, and look, there's so much to navigate here. And, and you know, I did touch on the, some people just do it from a competitive standpoint, but there will be some people who will find it impossible to enjoy this baseball season because it's only 60 regular season games. And if you want, if you want to do uh, the, a sports competitive equivalent of that, uh, going from 162 to 60 Major League Baseball games for a regular season is like going to a five-game NFL regular season and then stopping the game late in the fourth quarter before you finish your sixth game. Yeah. So, um, you know, some people just won't be able to get past that. And, you know, I think baseball in a lot of ways is a sport of asterisk more than others. And I think some people, uh, some of the purists have already put an asterisk on this season, uh, which will allow them to dismiss it before it ever gets started. Yeah, I think that's unfortunate if people dismiss it, because I think if you just take this season and, and, and don't say, say, look, your options are you have no season whatsoever or you have a season that looks different. Um, and, and listen, if the Rangers were to somehow, by some miracle, advance to whatever you want to call this, the World Series or the MLB Finals here, or, or whatever you want to call it, their fans are still going to feel passionate and connected to this team. And maybe um, even more intimately because of the fact that uh, there's so much going on in the world around us. I, I, I think it's a shame if people – and I, I, my Twitter has been full of people saying, who cares, it's not a real season, yada, yada, yada. I, I, I think if you do that, it, it, it's unfortunate. Um, these are uncomfortable times, and uh, they're, they're, there's nothing wrong with, with some idea of a different-looking baseball season. And I've endorsed this both on the radio and, and – uh, on TV as well, that there's going to be some experimentation with rules this year and some different things. And I've heard from lots of people about uh, not liking those rules because it's not baseball. And my, my, my response to them again is, this is a season unlike any other. Enjoy and embrace the experimentation. Some of this you may end up liking, even though you don't think you will. You may get into it and like it. And if so then some of those things stick. If not, baseball can say it had an actual season worth of, of experimentation and using the field and the game as a laboratory, and there was nothing really lost or, or long-term impacted by it. Yeah, I, I will so, say, though, what I found out, though, is just like the majority of the conversation was about the finances and their lack of a relationship versus the emphasis on can we reasonably expect to have a competitive season during a pandemic and how should we proceed? It was almost like that was an afterthought at the end. And you would have thought that would have been the major conversation uh, on this, which, which also gave it a strange feel. And, and just another quick thing, I mean, we'll find out later that's, uh, you know, Jay Moynihan, who's the uh, commissioner of the PGA tour. has just called a press conference for two o'clock this afternoon. And uh, you know, Brooks Kepka's caddy, tested positive and there are more and more tests and so now people are speculating well is the PGA Tour going to shut it down after just two events uh, starting their third uh, tomorrow the Travelers Tournament so we'll see just because all of these sports have talked about coming back you know none of them have and, and now the way this is set up 
basically all four of the professional sports leagues are going to try to get going at the same time. And how is that going to work and is it going to work? Well, uh, speaking of which, Evan, I wanted to ask you about some of the things that the baseball is proposing, like, you know, the universal DH and uh, and this thing about uh, starting extra innings with a runner at second base. Uh, go for it, Kevin. Let's go. Well, but I do I do want to ask you this one thing. Uh, do we know what they're going to allow in the, with the media? Yeah, it, it, I mean, that's all going to be that, – that's all going to be determined. There's going to be basically no access to players, and I it doesn't surprise me. Uh, it's not. It's not a worry for me. Uh, we'll do it via Zoom this year. Um, and no access at all, even after post game, no press conferences, no nothing. All via Zoom. Yeah, it'll be. The, the, there'll be Zoom and and uh, a conference call type thing. Yeah. Will you um, be at the stadium? Uh, there will be media allowed in in the stadium. Yeah. But not. A, but not a full complement. Not a full compliment. No, I, I believe the the regulations that I saw last night accounted for uh, 35 credentials, and I don't know if that was reporters and photographers or simply reporters. So um, get a little bit bit better feel for it this year. But um, you know, my I would I, think my, on the road too there would be different potentially. I would think again if you're 35 in each market, you're going to try to limit it to people in that market and not necessarily. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not so certain. Um, I'm not so certain what what the advantages of travel would be for this baseball season. Um, other yeah. than say you were you were physically in in the park, you're not going to have any additional access to players. Um, you're not going to have any access to uh, to any of the officials that you wouldn't have. Um, it's a different year, you know. My, I, I saw that. Um, my good friend Mark Bradley from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution wrote last week that it's going to be a different year in how we cover sports and that, you know, everybody's just going to have to live with that. And I, I, I kind of agree with him here. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but the, the people who are going to come first year are going to be the participants and we're all going to be we're all going to be locked out a little bit. And um, uh, quite frankly, whatever needs to be done to ensure my safety, I'm, I'm OK with that right now. I just want to go ahead and confess right now, because I think we really should be honest in times like these, is that I've never been anywhere in my whole career. I've just written everything I've ever written. I just wrote from my from my den. I think yeah. we could all tell that. Yeah, you, 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 don't, you don't go anywhere. Oh, man. I came across a story the other day. I wrote about the Texas Water Safari, and, and they, they, uh, they didn't cancel it this year. But they, it was supposed to come off. It's always the second weekend of June and they postponed it until September. Uh, I did that story in 1996. It was one of the craziest stories I've ever done in my life. Uh, it, was, it was a wonderful story to do. I'm, I'm trying to pitch. If, if they hadn't moved right in the middle of, of football season, I would have, and the end of baseball and everything else, uh, I would pitch it to Gary for me to go back and do that again. Uh, that, was, that was a fabulous story to do. But anyway, on to baseball. All right, so Evan, this universal DH. Uh, so now there was much discussion about in the negotiations that not only would we have it this year, but we would have it next year as well. Uh, but then there was talk if, since the sides did not come to agreement that it, it would, the recommendation would be that it would not be next year. So is there going to be a universal DH from now on or not? Um, I only for this year, is it, is it written in stone? Um, you know, I would think that players want the universal DH because it means another, um, 
sure. higher paid player on the roster uh, as opposed to just an extra bench guy. Um, uh, but I, uh, that's gonna, I, I, I think that's something that could be negotiated easily during the relatively easily because baseball, nothing is easy could be negotiated again over the winter time as potentially a building, a, a building block towards a, a 2021 agreement. Um, uh, the, uh, um, I, I think that, you know, I've heard a bunch of national league fans. Well, oh, I don't like the DH. I don't like the DH. Listen, I don't like watching pitchers hit. They stink. They should not be hitting anymore. It doesn't add anything to the game. It doesn't add strategy or anything else. You're just going up there trying to avoid an injury and making an embarrassing swing. So um, there's let, no- let me just say this about the DH. You know, I, I grew up in a National League town. I grew up and in I, and I, I grew up. I, I grew up watching National League baseball. I first covered National League baseball. I thought that the DH stunk until I got over here and realized I wasn't missing anything. The, the best thing about the DH is this, to me. It's it, yeah, you're not having pitchers take get up there taking terrible hacks. Uh, but the next best thing to me is that it's that it has enabled older players to, to remain in the game longer. And in a lot of cases, these are these are players that were very popular with the fans, um, and and it gives you a place to put somebody like that. And I and I think that's an invaluable thing uh, that that there's a you know you, you see very few younger guys who are uh, who are DHs. No no one really wants to do that. Uh, but I, I think that's to me been most most valuable, one of the most valuable things about it. it doesn't get talked about very much. So I, so yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I just think but, I, I think from a technical standpoint, it just adds the element that you can get offense from anywhere. Whereas in the National League, I think when you get to the bottom third of the lineup, you feel like you're cruising a little bit. Yeah, for sure, no question about that. I well, think, to me, uh, the strategy element was always one of the people said, well. Uh, but but you know now you know National League managers it's there's more strategy involved and all but but that's changed with how pitching staffs have been used over the last five to ten years. I mean now to me that argument no longer holds anymore because of how the the way pitching staffs are, are being used. So many specialists now. Baseball game to see the art of the double switch. No, nobody, nobody does that. Yeah, that that's that's an overrated thing too. No question about that. Nobody keeps score at games anymore, anyway. So I mean, for people to to oh look at how the manager changed his lineup. Nobody cares. I I I think that the the whole idea of people not liking the DH is again it goes back to this: people don't like change, and baseball fans are unfortunately of an older generation uh in higher in in higher numbers and they don't want to see change and i am am sitting here saying that it's time that we whether whether we're talking about uh the in uh, the attitudes in this country or sports we need to embrace change and be comfortable being uncomfortable with stuff so um if baseball wants to Im- include the universal DH, that's fine. So let's get to the most controversial of all the changes this year, Kevin. And that is starting a runner on second base in extra innings. I, I tell you what, I'm not in favor of that. I don't like that idea. I, I think if there was a, any number of things you could have done, I don't like the idea of arbitrarily just saying, okay, now this guy's going to be on second base. I, I just think there was a lot of things you could have done instead of doing something like that. Well, I, I, I'm not sure that there are a lot of things you could have done. Um, I, I, when I had this conversation with people a year ago, my thought was 
play the 10th inning as is, maybe start the 11th inning with, with a runner on base somewhere. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a fan of this, but I'm willing to say in this season, let's look at it and let's see how it plays out. Um, and, and what you will have is kind of a full court pressed from the very start of extra innings. There will be pressure on the pitcher going forward. Um, I don't know that anybody goes to a baseball game and says, let's play 15 tonight, guys. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, people, people go, they're, they're investing three hours now. I don't think they want to invest five. There's a segment of the population. It is a small minority of, of baseball fans, but that really, you know, love the idea of long extra inning games. And I don't know that, that baseball really gains anything from it. I'm willing to say, let's take a look at this and let's see how the games play out. Is it, is it, uh, I don't know what the alternative would be, Kevin, to trying to shorten extra inning games and, and shorten and, and eliminate some of the stress that you would put on bullpens with long extra inning games. Well, it's, it's, it's a good question. I, I, I remember I, I've thought about it before, and, and frankly, in, in, in my senioritis, I, I can't remember what I come up with before. But I, I, I do ask this because, you know, as anybody who's had to do this, has, has had to prove a box score, how, does, how do you account for this? This, this well, guy on second runner, base, who? The runner will have been deemed to reach second base on an error. And um, – Ryan Drees, the former Ranger pitcher, texted me last night after I had kind of looked through the manual kind of briefly, had, had texted me some of these scoring questions. Um, I don't know uh, how the law I, – I, I assume that the pitcher who is on the mound at the start of the inning uh, will be responsible for that runner. So while the run would be unearned, that, that pitcher would take, would take the loss. But what we've also seen now is that, that p- particularly pitching – wins and losses uh, and relief wins and losses don't really aren't really a weighted stat anymore um and and the whole idea of proving box scores i think again i had a conversation with with chris young last year um from major league baseball when i did a story on him and 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 the challenges of of taking on his role in the in in MLB's commissioner's office, and we talked about that. You know, kids don't score games anymore. Um, how do you get kids involved in it? And 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 that's a real challenge that baseball has. And so I, I'm not so sure that the idea of of how it factors into a box score is really going to resonate with a lot of people. What do we What do we have? Uh, do we have a problem? I don't think I'd have a problem in this season. Uh, just saying, it, 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 the score's tied after nine innings, it's a tie score. It's like hockey. You know, we're, we're going to give you, you know, uh, this is the way we're going to go until – and, of course, when you get into the postseason, obviously that changes. Uh, and I don't think in the postseason we'll not go that same extra inning round. No, no, no. I, I, I don't know how I feel about the tie game element. I mean, I, I think if you wanted to go to the tie game element, you'd need to say, all right, we'll play no more than a maximum of two extra innings, and after 11 – if the game is still tied, but I think you need to give teams an opportunity to kind of play that sudden death where, where it's, it's tied after nine and somebody can, has a chance to win um, some, some idea of overtime. Um, Here, here's I, my question to both of you. What, what did you feel about the college football rule when they went to their overtime rule? Yeah, I, I was not big on the, on the, on the way. And what they, do you think now? 
I, I didn't like it then, and I don't really like it now. I, well, I, I, you know, it's like you had that that A and M that wild A and M LSU game that was A and M won seventy seven to whatever it was, which was you know cruelty to all those poor players. I mean, I'm they were they were very fortunate, and nothing bad happened to anybody, and that was one of the reasons why they changed the rule was because of that. That that game right there made them say we can't we can't have any of this. You know, it's it's like I don't I don't like it in hockey the shootouts, you know, that just seems like a carnival atmosphere to me when you, when you introduce that kind of thing of of ending the game. So I got to say, I'm not in favor of a lot of these uh, things across sports, the way we decide the game, because you've, you've played the game all the way up to this point uh, a certain way with a certain set of rules that, that makes sense. And we've always dealt with and played with, and now we're going to change everything up because we're just trying to get this over with. Right. And, and I just, I guess I just I struggle with all of that. Were you at that LSU A and M game? No, I was not. I was watching it on TV. Okay, but you stayed you stayed up to whatever it was, two o'clock in the morning, watching every play of that, right? Well, no, that was really listen. It was it was fun to watch. It was just because it kept going, you know. And that's the thing. It's like the uh, I, I you know I was at the Astros game that was what twenty three innings, you know that that was that had the record for for years, you know. It's like. Yeah, after a while, you 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 kind of like it because it's like this just goes on and on and on. It's like I was at the the the, the Stars Buffalo, you know, in a, you know Stanley Cup Finals in Buffalo that ended at three o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, you know. So so yeah, those when it gets to be a to that point, you kind of like it, but you have to get through a lot before you get there. And in the case of that A and M LSU game, that that was just that was simply a case of. Now you're risking the the health and safety of these young men because they're playing they they've played the in essence two games you know now and and that's and that's ridiculous they 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 simply can't be out there that long you know the but, NCAA does a lot of things to take advantage of these guys and there was nothing worse than that. But from a, a fan standpoint, I'll just tell you we have two people in this household who are not huge football fans, and they stayed up with me watching every play of that of of those overtime periods. Um, but what you talk about from the health and safety standpoint, that's exactly what Major League Baseball, particularly in this year, is thinking about with extra innings because you just can't – you cannot afford to put extra stress on pitchers' arms. And we've seen what 13- and 14-inning games do to bullpens for three, four days afterwards. Um, just can't afford to do it at, at, at this point. And so – um, that I think is the reason MLB is willing to try this experiment. All right, so let's talk about the the scheduling. So that's, it's sixty games, essentially in sixty days, right? Yeah, sixty-seven uh, or something like that, or sixty-nine. Here's, um, I think it's sixty-seven days. Okay, so so are we going to have more double headers than we normally have? Don't well, if any, if we have any double headers, we'll have more double headers than we normally have. Um, uh, if and I, you know, I did not see in the operations manual what it called for on double headers, but the the working uh, belief was that if you did have double headers, you would play two seven inning games if you had scheduled double headers. Um, Both would be seven innings. Yeah, I uh, uh, that that is a good question on whether that will that will be part of the uh, of the schedule. I don't think we'll get a a finalized schedule today. I think it would be more tomorrow or Friday. So basically what the Rangers will do is they'll play 40 games, 10 games apiece against AL West opponents, 20 games against the NL, against the NL West. Now I've seen 
that teams will play um, six games against their natural rival in interleague play and four games against other teams. Uh, to me, the whole idea of natural rivalries makes no sense, particularly if you're not going to have fans in the stands. If there's no fans and you can't fight and you can't do any of the brawling stuff, there's no rivalry. It's just game. So why, why not make this easy and just play five, uh, play, play each team two and two, home and away in the National League so that you've got four games and that, that accounts for the other 20 games. All right, now let me play fan advocate here uh, because this is something that's come up quite a bit uh, recently uh, in, in emails and, and whatnot. Uh, how are season ticket – how are the Rangers going to reconcile t- season ticket packages with fans? Have not announced um, what I have been hearing secondhand from some fans, and this was one of the things that I was hoping that they would – they would be uh, they would uh, announce today. What I have heard secondhand from fans is that basically, if fans are allowed in the stadium this year, um, all those all season ticket holders will be uh, have the ability to have their money carried over to next year, um, get something of a deposit for next year, and a partial refund. Um, but Essentially, all games this year would be sold as single game only tickets. All games. That's what that's what I'm hearing. Don't have confirmation. Little bit, you know, I'm a little bit sketchy about saying that, but I've heard it from multiple people in the last 24 hours that have talked to their ticket reps. And so these would not, uh, they would not get refunds. So if they want full refunds, if they wanted them now. Um. I think people who want full refunds and just want out could get full refunds, but I have not seen a policy, but I think that people who want refunds, but are willing to um, willing. Now what I, what I am hearing is that season ticket holders will get a pre-sale on individual game tickets for this year. Okay. So they would get first priority, but people who are holding season ticket packages won't be guaranteed all home games. Uh, I, it, it's complicated, and you know I'm, I'm leery about giving out bad information. I want to see it all sorted out, but I, I am hearing that, that there's not going to be uh, what you what would amount to quote unquote season tickets this year. Okay, very interesting. Um, so, would would MLB allow the possibility that? Some stadiums would have fans and some and some would not. You've written about this. Do you what is what is an update of that? So I'm more and more confident in this that uh, when it comes to this, try and boil this down. Globe Life Field is a public building. Um, if the public policy is that tickets can be sold and fans admitted, MLB is going to follow the state regulations it's not going to try and enforce its own subset of laws. So uh, I I believe there's been contact between the commissioner's office and Governor Greg Abbott's office, uh, that the the commissioner's office has talked with the governor about what the governor's policies would be, um, and that if the governor holds to his policy, which he kind of doubled down on yesterday, saying he's expecting to see fans in the stands, MLB's not going to run the risk of 
a lawsuit from either the municipality, the team, or the state government over over um, not allowing fans in the stands. I think that'll be very interesting to see how that uh, works itself out if it comes to that, because I, I can imagine that you're going to have organizations, fans complaining, you know, teams complaining that we go into this place, we're risking ourselves even more here because of the fans that are in the park now, and they're getting that fan support. And when we come home, we don't have any fan support. And, uh, and clearly that, 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 that has to make a difference. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, fans, you know, the players are just, like everybody else, they get juiced up playing at home. There's a reason that for a home field advantage, you know, uh, the, the reason that that actually counts for something. So it's, it's not ideal, but I also, it, it's not ideal by any stretch. And it, it kind of surprised me until I kind of went back and, and try to take a look at it through the legal lens. Um, and I don't think from a revenue standpoint, I think 30 games with a maximum of 20,000 fans in the stands. I don't think MLB thinks the Rangers or Astros would get some kind of significant revenue advantage. And again, I don't think they can step in and bar them from, from getting that revenue. Um, the, uh, the, the thing as far as home field advantage and playing in front of fans I just wonder, you know, how many people will actually show up? I mean, do you think 20,000 people feel comfortable walking into any venue right now? Yeah, I think it, uh, we, we looked at the, the rally in Tulsa last week when 6,200 people showed up. Uh, and then, and of course, there's been lots of controversy about why didn't they show up? Were they blocked by TikTok and PopK? Did, you know, what, what kept these people from showing up? Um, I'd K-pop. like to know. I think it's an interesting question. K-pop, not pop. K-pop. Pop K. I think Pop K is what I had for breakfast this morning, actually. But anyway, all right. And I want to ask a question that uh, I'm going to get past it, get a little bit more of a baseball like question because this came up on something I was reading yesterday. Um, you know, there's lots of questions about when, when John Daniels was putting this roster together for the season before everything went haywire with the pitching staff, older, uh, experienced staff. One of the deepest ones they've had in a long time. If everybody comes back and everybody's healthy and everybody, you know, uh, pitches up to his potential. Um, I'm wondering though, you know, of course the speculation was that then the Rangers would play, you know, 80 games, get to the break. And, and then, and then John Daniels would decide depending on where they were, am I going to sell all these guys off or not? You know, I, I think that the chances probably were pretty good that he was going to do that. Now, uh, first of all, I'm assuming there is no break. You know, they'll just play their 60 games, right? There, there will. There's no All Star break, but there, there is going to be a trade deadline on August 31st. August the 31st. Okay, so at that point, Daniels could decide to do the same thing he, he could have done before, right? Yeah, I mean, but again, now the question would be like, say, like let's take a Mike Miner for example. Um, you've got five weeks of Mike Miner, um, and on August 29th or August 30th, you you attempt to sell him. You're selling him for one month to a team, then he's a free agent. Um, unless that team has designs on keeping him long term, um, I, I don't know what your return would be. And I don't know that you could be that far out of a playoff race after one month in the season that you would consider dumping guys. Um, so it's, it's, it's all going to be kind of, kind of a different perspective. Uh, and the other thing is, 
players are looking at a very difficult free agency offseason. Um, the thought is that, that contracts are not going to be easy to come by. And could the Rangers potentially go back to a guy like Miner right now, get a two-year deal done that would ensure he'd be here um, at a more reasonable value and go forward with that? I think that I think I think all of those are realistic possibilities right now. Yeah, I just have a hard time envisioning at this point with such a short season that Daniels would say, "Okay, that's it, we're out." You know, we're, we're going to get rid of these guys, and and uh, because just because of what you said, uh, and because of their contracts, the only one who's uh, under contract through next season is uh, well, Kluber's under contract through next season, right? Well, Kluber's got a, an option for next season. Lynn okay. Lynn is under contract for next season. Yeah. Lyles is under contract for next season. Gibson is under contract for next season. The only one who's a free agent among the starters is Miner. Okay. So I was right on top of that. Right way to go. Yeah. Thanks, Kev. All right. All right. Let's shift gears completely now. Let's move over to the Cowboys uh, and talk about um, uh, a couple of things there. One, Dak Prescott signed his uh, his franchise tag on Monday, uh, as I get, we expected him to do that. Uh, now, David, tell us. What advantage that gives either Dak or the Cowboys in him actually signing the tag? It doesn't. This is just a, a marker. It, it, in my mind, it's just kind of a, a place marker. Uh, you knew he was going to play this year. I mean, people, people focus on this being significant because it means he will report to training camp and take part. But there was never in it, any indication that he wasn't going to report to training camp. Uh, uh, July 15th is a significant date, uh, and that is, will he play this season on the franchise tag at 31-4, or will they agree to a long-term deal by then? And if not, uh, then it, it, he plays on the franchise tag, and that has uh, some significant ramifications going into next season. So to me, this was – I expected him to sign uh, the franchise tag. Uh, when he signed it, I don't think really makes – any difference and, and doesn't alter the narrative of the story at all, which is, will he sign a long-term deal or will he play on the franchise tag in 2020? Can I just ask one question here? Go ahead, Evan. It's a very important and pertinent question. Is it like an actual tag? Is, do, they, do they give him like a price tag that he has to sign? What is the tag? Around this, It's a necklace that says $31.4 million on it. Yeah. Yes. Big, big gold chain. Uh, all right. Thanks, Evan, for that. Uh, so the, the, this is one of the things that, that, that uh, I've, I've kind of struggled with because I'm certainly not a caponomics guy. But if he signs a long-term deal this year, now obviously he counts $31.4 million against the cap this year. There's no getting around that. That's, that's that. Well, unless he signs a long-term deal. What he can replace I mean. the tag he, with a long-term deal. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. If he just stays on the tag – that's what he counts. Then yes. Next year, if he was if he's tagged again and, and he plays under that tag, it'd be thirty-seven point whatever. I think thirty-seven point seven. And you also have to factor into the point that there's no. It's difficult to envision a scenario where the cap is going to go up next year, right. given what the what the NFL and 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 all sports teams are facing. Uh, they would probably borrow against future earnings to at least keep the cap roughly the same so you don't have a big drop in it. Um, so if you project this out, it's very reasonable to, reasonable to expect that if you went into next season, 
and they tagged him again, it would account for an even greater percentage of the salary cap, much greater percentage than it would this year with what they're doing. Yeah. But, which so, it gives him the leverage, which gets him the leverage to say, look, you know, from the team standpoint, don't you want to get something done to count for me to count less on your cap? Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the issue here for me. So if he signs a, a four or five year deal now or before July the 15th, there is a way for you to, uh, to massage the numbers across the, 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 uh, the breadth of that, that uh, cap or to amortize it in such a way that it makes it uh, more palatable for you, for your cap. In other words, to work so you can get other people and, you know, uh, the, the, the contracts that you need to give them. Correct. I mean, and, and then you can, and then you can, you can backload it to where it, uh, you get to that part of it and maybe even renegotiate the contract then. Uh, there are a number of things you can do that's a, to the advantage of the club as opposed to having him play under the tag this year and next year. Oh, sure. No question. And remember, they also went with the higher tag number. They went with the exclusive tag, uh, which got him up to 31-4. Um, you know, there was, a, there was the other tag. They could have just used the franchise tag, which would have been about $5 million less. And then that would have frozen him with – um, you know, if he did leave, uh, the Cowboys would have gotten two first round picks in return and still had the right of first refusal to match the offer. So they went with a higher tag. One, people say, well, they wanted to eliminate any competitors whatsoever. To me, that's minimal. They went with the higher because the other one, in essence, eliminated all competitors as well, except it gave you a pretty good return on investment uh, if you decided not to match it, you know, financially. Uh, but the reason the Cowboys went with the higher tag was because they wanted to let Dak Prescott and his representation know that, look, we're negotiating here in good faith. We're, I hate to say giving $5 million. I mean, Dak, Dak Prescott earned this money by uh, what he did in his first four years and, and having taking the financial stand to not take an offer earlier to give himself more leverage from this point going forward. But then they, in essence, said, look, you know, we could freeze you at either number and you know you're not going anywhere. But just to show we're negotiating in good faith here, um, we're going to give you the tag that cost us $5 million more dollars. Uh, so, you know, give us some credit here for negotiating in good faith and we hope this carries over. Now, it hasn't done anything to this point, but it was, in my mind, that, that was a, a true good faith effort on the Cowboys' part to show that, look, we have some honest disagreements here but we want to let both of you know, um, you know, how important Dak is to us. So we're going with the higher number here. So even if we can't agree, he's going to get more money uh, than he would have otherwise. So, um, again, when you're talking about a difference in $5 million, when you're trying to get a guaranteed deal of a more than $110 million that goes for four or five years, I understand that's a small amount. But, but it is a good faith gesture in my mind, and, and the Cowboys extended that. I'd have taken that five million. All right. Yeah, been been good for me. Um, so, uh, all right, now let's let's move over to another Cowboys uh, story, and that is uh, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, who is. Uh, uh, first of all, I want to say that of all of all the guys in in that locker room to talk to, uh, Demarcus is one of my favorites, simply because he will say uh, whatever he's thinking, uh, and uh, especially after a game. To me, after a game. Demarcus Lawrence is the one guy you want to talk to. 
and, and, and he's fun to talk to as well. Uh, so uh, he is. He came out uh, uh, with uh, his his thoughts about uh, Jerry Jones' silence uh, on this issue um, that is uh, that are facing not only the NFL but society in general these days. And uh, and his take was basically, listen. He's not going to change anything, whatever he says. Uh, and uh, all I know is that what's going to change things is action. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do these things on my own two feet. And, and he has done quite a bit in the community uh, and, and is to be commended for all of that. Uh, and then he took some flack for that, saying that he's letting Jerry off the hook uh, by, by saying all that, which uh, to me is, is terrible that anybody would criticize Demarcus Lawrence uh, for, for what he's doing. Uh, and how he does it. I will say, I think Jerry needs to say something simply because I think by, by showing that we're all on the same side here in, in this issue, I think it, it can't do anything but help. But I'm not about to criticize Demarcus Lawrence for the, for the take that he has on this. I want to get yeah. your thoughts on that. Well, Kevin, you, you made a great, you had a great column last week when you talked about Mark Cuban and, and compared him to, to the Rangers owners and, 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 and the one element of all of this is that Mark has remained front and center, no matter what the scenario is. When it was just basketball, he was big mouth Mark, yelling at referees and all of that. When it became a political situation, he stayed front and center. Where I think Jerry, uh, where the Rangers owners have been always in the background, they've been consistent in the background. What's been inconsistent here is Jerry likes to talk after games, likes to talk about lots of issues, but you can't have it both ways. You can't then decide to go silent when there is a larger issue in front of you, and that's where I think Jerry has gotten himself in, in, into trouble. David, are you surprised that he's gone that under, un, underground? No. I mean, you know, everyone talks about Jerry does things on his own time, uh, the, the anthem issue was significant a couple of years ago going into training camp. Uh, everyone demanded to know where Jerry was, and he addressed it on the opening day of camp and uh, was unequivocal on it, you know, and uh, he, he will address this. I, I understand uh, everyone saying, and look, I, I don't think it's in their best interest to wait either. I think it would be better for him to have weighed in by now, but uh, he – He's not avoiding it. He will talk. And, you know, we, I think we addressed this a little bit last week that um, unless he reverses his stance uh, or, or his position, there's really not much room for him to maneuver on this. I mean, he, is, he has said consistently that my players and employees for the anthem will stand toe on the line, but I also recognize that um, – people who want to protest during the anthem are not necessarily showing a disrespect for the flag or our country, but they are protesting issues that are significant to them and to our society. And while I recognize that, it's just on my team, you stand with your toes on the line, uh, hands on the heart, you know, and so he's acknowledging that, um, he's not mixing the narrative up and he's saying he respects their views. He just disagrees with it and he wants them to protest in different ways and he will help give them the tools uh, to learn more uh, to affect the social change that they want. And he has done that by and large, but as we talked about, 
Um, I, I think I think Jerry's been able to exist in that netherworld uh, for his entire career between uh, social issues and how they impact uh, players, fans, and sponsors. And he's been able to kind of maneuver that netherworld the whole time without truly taking a stance or, or alienating anybody. I don't know if you can do that at this moment in our history going forward. And, and so we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But I, I would be surprised if – I would be very surprised if, if Jerry uh, changes his stance. Now, now what can change and, and what will have to be part of this is – the NFL will, will come in and say how you handle this from a league perspective, which will supersede what Jerry wants to do individually as a team. And then, and then you kind of go from there. But, you know, you say you want difficult conversations, but whenever people start to engage in difficult conversations on social media, they're immediately placed in a box and you're not allowed to have those conversations. And, and, and in some ways, I think that's what Demarcus Lawrence was trying to say, and then also he got placed in that box while he was trying to say it, uh, which I think is very instructive for where we are in a social media world. It, it is not made for nuanced or difficult conversations. No, it is not. Uh, let me ask you this, Dave, because this is the thing that's fascinating to me about Jerry and, and, and how he has uh, morphed over the years. You know, there, there was a time, and, and, and you well recall this, well, you can get Jerry Jones anytime you wanted to get him. I, I remember when he had luncheons for the media uh, every week. Uh, and I think it was on Tuesdays. And, and uh, but sometimes and I, you got him too much. You would go, <laughs> yeah. go Jerry's going to talk today and be like, really? This is like the fourth time this week. Can, yeah, can we get a break? Yeah, absolutely. Well, now he doesn't do that anymore. Now he's, he does kind of pick and choose a little more than, than he did before. Uh, he does it through their flagship station where he still talks twice a week, and he correct. does it after games. He does but, it yeah, after the, 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 days of, the days of calling up and saying, hey, I just, you know, can I talk to Jerry for five or ten minutes? Uh, those no longer exist. Yeah. So the, the thing that, that's, uh, that's fascinating to me about Jerry is that how much of his feelings about the, the national anthem last year uh, and the last couple of years, and, and how much of of the uh, how much of that is his own personal beliefs, uh, which I, I don't I don't question his patriotism or anything like that, and how much of it is that I am uh, I don't know if I want to say pandering to, but certainly I am cognizant of my fan base uh, and the people who are uh, supporting my, my team and come and they, and they, and they buy the tickets, they buy these jerseys. Do they, they don't really want to he- they don't really want to see this. And uh, I, I do, I don't, you know, Jerry, the consummate businessman, do I really want to turn off these people? Yeah. I, I don't think you can unravel those threads from who Jerry Jones is and his personality and his makeup. I, I do believe his belief is very sincere that you stand during the anthem. He was raised that way. I think that's ingrained in him. And while he can acknowledge the protest aspect of it, he doesn't, he believes you should protest in other ways. Now, again, that gets into the definition of a protest and making people uncomfortable and, and to get your point across. And, and that's, you know, that's probably not a conversation for here, especially how much we've already talked today. But I, I mean, I, so I think one, I think he truly, sincerely believes that you should stand for the anthem. That is something that's important to him. 
uh, and that's something he wants to see done. Um, you take it beyond there. I will say, I was just, what, two and a half years ago now, when, um, when the team knelt before the Arizona game as a show of solidarity, the entire team, and Jerry was there too. Jerry took a knee, uh, arms crossed with the rest of the teammates, knelt uh, as far as uh, a statement against systemic oppression and police brutality. He made sure they did that before the anthem was played. He made sure everyone was standing when the anthem was played. I've been told that the Cowboys organization, at least during Jerry Jones's tenure, has never received more of a backlash and more of a negative response over anything that has ever happened than after that game. That they were just flooded with one negative call after another about how dare you kneel during the anthem? What in the world are you thinking about? Why did you do that? This team, you're America's team and all this stuff. And when it was explained to irate callers that no, we purpose, the team purposely did not kneel during the anthem. We agree with that stance. We knelt before, by and large, it was, we don't care. It was the same effect. I saw you kneeling during the anthem. And they were actually taken aback. They felt they had, they felt they had struck on the perfect compromise to show solidarity, yet also uh, respect the flag. And it blew up on them in a way they did not anticipate. And so, yeah, that from the fact that they have never had another instance of consumer backlash that's come close to that, uh, that certainly registers uh, with Jerry Jones as far as what this team uh, in the image it wants to present during the anthem going forward. No question. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that people do, People and this is the deal with a protest, right? You can't you can't orchestrate a protest. It's it's supposed to be organic and and basically um, uh, immediate. Um, and and everybody saw kneeling as a protest. This is what we fought. This is what we fought over from the very start. Is that protesters said they weren't protesting the anthem or the flag. This is what they're protesting. They're protesting police brutality. This is the time that they chose to do it. And by and large, the public saw, well, not by and large, but you had a, a great polarization between people who said, this is their right to protest when they choose to protest, however I feel about it. And those who said, no, you are protesting the anthem, regardless of what they said. And it's the same thing. Jerry tried to orchestrate this thing that walked this fine line between saying, okay, we're taking the visual um, and applying it. We're changing the time so that it doesn't necessarily interfere with the anthem. And people still saw the message as you're kneeling. It's around the time of the anthem. You're agreeing with this. The question that I've still got for both of you is Roger Goodell has allowed now for owners to basically come out and say, I'm going to step back from what I said four years ago. He's created that by saying we made a mistake. Would Jerry seize upon that? Or do you think that you would, they would, again, with, with how we are in Texas as a very conservative state, would that be dangerous to step back and say, 
I made a mistake. I support my players 100% in what they want to do. I think what David just said, it will tell you no, that he won't do that. Uh, I, I think that David's absolutely right. I think that not, not in Texas, you know. And, and uh, I think the fact that well, the way David explained it is fascinating to me that when fans called and they complained about that and complained about them kneeling during the anthem, it was explained to them, no, 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 they weren't kneeling during the anthem. That was before the anthem. When they said, well, I don't care, the, the number of people who said that, that really shoots a hole in the whole argument, doesn't it? I mean, because when I wrote about it, and, and you know, I, I said I did not – I, I did not agree with the form of the protest. I agree with the protest. I didn't agree with the form of the protest because I know that a lot of people are offended by that. And to me, I, it felt like if you are automatically alienating people, I think that if, if the goal is to get people to understand, you know, if you're trying to get people to come together, it, it, it seems to me that's a difficult thing to do when you're automatically alienating them. And, and so I would, I would choose a different way to do that. Uh, but then, you know, it's, if you go back to the, the Tommy Smith, John Carlos, you know, I was 12 years old when that happened at the Olympics. And I remember when that happened, we were all just horrified. I mean, I'm 12 years old, but everybody acted like we we're just horrified that these men stood on the metal platform and raised these, you know, fists with black gloves on. Uh, and, and, and they paid for that forever, you know, those two men. Uh, and, uh, so I, I, I how much, you know, this is a little bit about Demarcus Lawrence's argument. How much of it, does all this stuff really work? How much of it is really successful in doing what you want to do? I don't know. You know, it's, it's a great question about how do we protest and, and, and what's an effective protest and, and what, what actually works with people and what, what changes people's minds, what makes them come around? You know, I don't know. And, 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 uh, and I think these are questions that we're, we're learning about now. I, I, I certainly, I certainly am in, in, you know, think that all of what's happened so far, except for the, when they've turned violent, I think the protests have been good. I'm, I'm all for them. Uh, and those, and the, cause those are the protests I grew up with in the sixties. I mean, that's the thing about everybody talks about all this stuff now and, Oh, it's unprecedented times. These are not unprecedented. You know, if you lived in the sixties, you know, that's all the whole decade was, was one protest after another and, and terrible violent events. It's the most tempestuous decade of, you know, I, I'd even, you talk about having a world war, but at least everybody was on the same side then in, in this country, you know, uh, the, the last century, there was no more tempestuous decade than the sixties. So to, having grown up in all that and seen what that was like and lived through it and, and, uh, and, and it certainly did cause a lot of change in America. But I, I think those are things that are, that are, uh, they're not immediate. Uh, if people are wanting immediate changes because of all it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think it works that way. I think it's a grad, it's more a gradual thing. But it's still fascinating to me to contemplate where we go from here. Other than the fact that where we have to go from here is we have to stop. Time to get out. This has been a great conversation. But, yeah, I mean, it, we've taken up a, a, a whole bunch of time. But I think Jose actually fell asleep. Jose Rodriguez, our producer. not there. Jose. You blame him. <laughs> oh, his hand is up. Okay. He just waved. Okay, good. It's good to know okay. that Jose's still there. All right. Uh, so that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We'll have another one next week, um, uh, in which we'll talk about more stuff and maybe we'll have a little better idea of what, uh, the baseball schedule is going to be like, uh, Evan, do we have a, do we have a target for that kind of thing? 
I, I expect that they'll have a schedule by the end of this week. I mean, I, it's just a question of whether or not it comes out tomorrow or Friday, I think. But I think by – and knowing how baseball works, usually they announce all news on at about 5 p.m. or 5.10 on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. So, um, I, like I, I, I predicted to John Blake last night or, or yesterday afternoon, I said, we'll get, we'll get word on this from MLB about this 4 o'clock deadline. We'll get word about 8 o'clock. It came down at 8.15. So this is the way MLB operates. They're just out to screw you, Evan. It is. They're, they're out to screw me, Evan Grant. Penny Packer. Uh, all right. So that's going to do it for all of us. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.